Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. What's up, Paradigm? If you have a copy of God's Word, won't you find the book of Matthew? Matthew chapter 15 is where we're going to be at tonight. My name is Chad. I'm so honored to be coming from my place to your place tonight. And we are kicking off a brand new series called Heartland because we're living here in Kansas City and this is called the Heartland. And here's our hope in this series, that every time you would hear this word Heartland, you would begin to ask yourself this question, how's your heart? How's your heart? There's this verse that we find in the book of Proverbs. It's like the book of wisdom. And this is kind of the theme verse for this entire series. And it says this, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And so as you are finding your way to Matthew chapter 15, I just want to share with you a story about some things that went down in my family a couple of years ago. My sister-in-law, she was pregnant with their first kid, a boy, and she went in to have a sonogram done at about 20 weeks. And fortunately, this nurse, as she's doing the sonogram, she catches that there's some sort of flaw with the baby. And so they began to investigate this a little bit further. And what they found out is that this little baby that was developing inside of my sister-in-law's womb had this condition called a transposition of the great arteries. And so what that meant is that his heart was developing wrongly. The, the, The artery that was supposed to take the oxygen into his heart was switched with the artery that was supposed to take the carbon dioxide out of his heart. And so if he, if he lived with this condition, or if he was born with this condition unaddressed, he would have only survived about 30 days. And so immediately they start making plans, right? And, and they go to this hospital in Dallas. And, and after he's born, I'm talking like four hours after he is born, he goes in for a minor surgery. And then three days after he's born, he has open heart surgery. And here's a picture of him right here. You can see this little guy. You see his chest has been filleted open. They've gone in and they've fixed some things in his heart. And he is a fighter and a survivor. Now you need to know he made it all right and he's doing really well. But, but I start there tonight because here's what I know to be true. If there are issues with the heart that are left unattended to and undetected, and there are issues that lie inside of that heart, if you don't address those things, it's gonna cost you your life. And we're talking about this thing in, over the next couple of weeks that is so important to you and me, and, and it's not our physical heart, but it's our spiritual heart. And in the scriptures, when we talk about the heart, and, and when the Bible talks about the heart, man, it, rep- it represents so much more than just that muscle that is so important to your life and my life. It, it, it actually represents the seat of emotion, It represents the place from which all desires flow from. In the scriptures, it talks a lot about the heart. Like we already mentioned earlier that that this verse in Proverbs, it comes from one of the wisest men ever to live. His name was Solomon. And you think about all the things that Solomon wrote about. He wrote about money. He wrote about relationships. He wrote about plans and future. I mean, he wrote about all kinds of things. And he comes to this conclusive statement in Proverbs chapter 4, And he says, above all else, above all else, man, you got to take care of what's in here. You've got to guard your heart because from it flows the wellspring of life. Like, why would he say this? 
Like, like why, why would Solomon put so much emphasis on this, this piece of our life? Because there's this ancient belief that everything that we are on the outside flows from who we are on the inside. So, Paradigm, how's your heart? If you're taking notes, I've titled this message tonight, that simple question, how's your heart? And here's what I want you to see from God's word tonight. That I want you to see that sometimes we have the wrong heart. And then I want you to see that the scripture teaches us that we are all born with this wicked heart. And then before we leave tonight, I want to ask you that question again and, and examine some things inside of your heart. And I want to ask you, how's your heart? So about 2,000 years ago, this man named Jesus steps onto the scene and everything changes when he comes onto the scene. And he's about 30 years old when he launches his ministry. So he's a young adult and, and in this part of the world that he lives in, he is wildly popular. I mean, you imagine this guy's able to feed thousands with like a, a, a happy meal. I, I mean, he's able to just touch people and heal them. He's like a walking hospital. I mean, Jesus is, is teaching this, these profound things. I mean, he's dropping truth bombs and he's, he's this incredible person that is doing some amazing things. And he's, he's got this entourage that's following him, but also you, you didn't know this, that Jesus, he even had his haters and his doubters too. And so there was this group of people that are typically known as the Pharisees, the scribes and the Sadducees, and, and they continually try to trip Jesus up. And we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 15 in one of these occasions. Here's what it says in Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, they were, they were tripping about people not washing their hands. It's kind of funny. Some people say, man, the Bible's not relevant. No, it's really relevant, all right? But they had made this thing of, uh, out of washing hands. Basically, they were saying, if you don't wash your hands, you don't go to heaven. And they built this tradition out of this Old Testament practice that said that the people of, of God, and, and namely these people that held these special positions like the priests and the temple leaders, they had to go through this ceremonial washing of their hands before they did the work of God. Now, what had happened was over time, they said that everybody, not just the temple leaders, not just the priests, everyone has to wash their hands if they want to be right with God. And so what had happened is that these people, they, they said that you have to do something that is extra biblical in order to be right with God. And that is the, that is the definition of legalism. And so Jesus, he's, like, he's not going to put up with this. And so he says this in verse 3. He answers them and he said, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? And so I, I love this because Jesus is not backing down from a little bit of a fight here. All right, what's happening is that Jesus is answering their question with a question, and he enters in this kind of verbal sparring match. And, and you need to know this, that anytime you question God, uh, you may not get the answer that you were asking, and, and you're probably going to lose, all right? And so this is what's happening, and Jesus goes on in verse 4. He says, For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say... Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. And so what was happening is that there was this rule in Jesus' day where if you dedicated all of your possessions to the temple, uh, then you did not have to give them or share them with anyone else outside of your immediate family. 
And so what would happen is that when you dedicated those things to the temple, you could still live and you could have as much as you wanted while you were alive, but when you died, it just all went to the temple. But this was a roundabout way for you not to have to share your belongings with your parents. And Jesus is calling this out. He's like, you, you have denied one of the ba- I mean, top 10 commandments in the Bible. You've denied that. You've taken away from your mom and dad who gave you life, and you've created this extra biblical thing, and you've, you think that you're kind of getting away with it. And Jesus is calling them out. And so imagine back in the day, like there wasn't modern medical care, there wasn't these things, and so your parents, they were completely reliant upon you in order for you to take care of them, and they were shirking their responsibility. They were basically saying, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry, I can't help you out with that deal because I've dedicated all of my belongings to the temple, and I'm a righteous person, and it doesn't work that way in God's eyes. And so Jesus, he's calling them out, and he just makes it really clear in verse 7. He says, hypocrites, exclamation point. I love this because Jesus, listen, he will call you out. You need to know this about Jesus. He's not Oprah, all right? He's not going to take it to you lightly if he senses some duplicitousness inside of you, all right? He's going to call you out. This isn't gentle, mamby-pamby, suggestive, kind of passive Jesus. This is Jesus calling it like it is. And he he calls them out. I'd imagine the Pharisees are like, bro, like, that, was, that wasn't a good question. Whose ideal was the stupid wash your hands question? Bring it up, and they're going to get frustrated. Jesus, he says, hypocrites. And then he begins, begins to quote some scripture to them. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but note this, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Point number one, if you're taking notes tonight, write this down, the wrong heart, the wrong heart. That what had happened was that these people, they had made washing hands a really big deal. Like they equated washing hands with being right with God and it showed that their hearts were far from God and they were worshiping God with the wrong heart. That anytime you elevate behavior as the reason you belong to God, listen, you have the wrong heart. And if you think that you're currently doing something in order to be accepted before God, you've misunderstood the scriptures and you've made salvation about you. And that's not what we find in the scripture. I wonder, have you ever done the right thing but with the wrong heart? I know I have. Just the other day I was at Lowe's and, uh, because that's just what I do now. Um, that seems like the only place where people hang out. And so I went to Lowe's to get some stuff and, and I started checking some things out and I get to my truck and I've already been there for way too long, and I'm already a little bit frustrated because I've been there so long. I get to my truck, and I realize uh, that they didn't charge me for part of my, my product. And so I had a decision to make. You know, I'm like, you know, the right thing would, would be to go back in there. Um, but I've been here way too long, and, um, and, you know, it's just my lucky day. I mean, they, they probably owe me these things anyway, but I'm, I'm a pastor, and so there's kind of this internal wrestle. I'm like, there, there's probably somebody watching me. This is probably like somebody trying to set me up. And so I grab the, the pieces of wood that I bought, and I go back into Lowe's, and, and, and I, I say, hey, y'all forgot to charge me for these things. And the, the cashier, she just says, oh, thank you so much for doing the right thing. But inside, I'm like grumbling, you know. I'm like, why don't you just say, hey, you can have it. No big deal. Thanks for, for doing the right thing. That'll be 10 extra dollars. And on the outside, I was doing the right thing. But let me be honest with you. On the inside, I was frustrated. 
I was doing the right thing with the wrong heart. And I think we do that all the time. And maybe it's not a purchase, but, but maybe it's you showing up and, and watching a video like this, or maybe it's you, you praying, and maybe it's you getting in the word of God, or maybe, maybe it's you, you, you kind of cleaning up your behavior, trying to do the right thing so that you can get God to help you out with some things. And oftentimes, we get things confused, and we may look good on the outside, but our hearts are far from God. Did you know that there's about a 12 to 18 inch gap between heaven and hell? It's the difference between here to here. And a lot of you listening, man, you acknowledge God here, but he hasn't got a hold of this thing yet. And you have the wrong heart. And Jesus is calling it out. Like, listen, you, you may know the lingo. You may know, like, like the music that Christians sing. You, you may know the, the hottest books. You may give to the church. You may be involved and still missing the whole point of everything. Like, like we have this tendency to make Christianity into this list of do's and don'ts so that we can feel good about ourselves and then cast judgment upon other people that don't keep the list, you know? Like some of you, you you've got kind of the, the list and so you're looking really Christian. You're reading The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, right? Uh, you know how to debate about Bethel and Calvinism. Uh, when it comes to motivational, you're going verdict. When it comes to in, uh, in, like informational, you're going Keller, right? You journal and you drink good coffee, right? You've got the list all together and you think that that's what makes you a Christian and you've got the wrong heart. And if you're not careful, you can make your faith into a list of extra biblical things and you can miss the heart of God. You could be all up in this and still miss it. And so Jesus, he goes on, and in verse 10 it says, in the scripture it says, when he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear and understand. And so Jesus is about to, he's about to drop some new information, all right? It's just this new idea that Jesus came. He came to, to bring new ideas. He came to bring a new testament. He came to make right the things that, had, that we had gotten wrong. And here's what he says in verse 11. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. And at this point, everyone's like, yeah, that's right. You know, Jesus got his guys, and they're like, yeah, yeah, amen, yeah, yeah, y'all, that's my man. Yeah, everything to come out. What do you say? Everything to come out of the man? And they go into the man, that's right, yeah. And they're all looking at each other like, I didn't know what that means. So they go on in verse 12, and his disciples, they try to kind of roundabout, not be outright, and say, Jesus, could you explain this? And so they just kind of went to him in verse 12, and they, they came to Jesus, and they said this in verse 12, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard what you said? Like Jesus is like, unaware of that. I don't think he, I think he was very aware that he offended them. Verse 13, and he answered them, said that every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Jesus doesn't care if he makes you upset. Jesus doesn't apologize for the truth. And he was fully aware that if he rocked the boat, that people would be upset. And he came to, uh, to upset the system. Jesus hates religion. And he hates people that add extra things to the scripture to make it difficult for people to come to him. 
And so he wasn't concerned at all. He didn't apologize for the truth at all. And then Peter, if you don't know much about the Bible, Peter's kind of the guy that just lunges out there. He, you know, he, he speaks before he thinks. And, and so I love Peter. And here's what he says in verse 15. He says, Peter answered to Jesus and, and finally gets to the point. He said, explain this parable to us. And so Jesus said, are y'all also still without understanding? Like I, this is so encouraging to me. Maybe you're listening to this and you're like me and you didn't score real well on your ACT. Maybe you're listening to this and it just seems like there are things that Jesus says that are a little bit confusing and you don't really register them. Maybe you're there sitting there thinking, how could God ever use someone like me? And when you read the scriptures, you find out the people that Jesus, he selected these people. He, he didn't put out a, an, an invitation and an application process. He chose Peter. And it's like Peter still doesn't get it. And so Jesus, he takes this, this, this teaching and he begins to break it down. He makes it real simple so that even a fisherman and even a guy like me could understand. And I love in verse 17, he goes on. He says, do, not, do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth comes into the stomach and is eliminated. Now, when you read this in the original language, um, it's a lot more aggressive and a lot more vulgar, all right? This is like, there's only two times that, that the Greek word for toilet is used, and it's both times Jesus is, is sharing this parable, all right? And so he says, all right, guys, let me break it down. Don't you know that when you eat something, it comes in your mouth, it goes through your body, and then you know, maybe, I don't know if he did that, I'm not real sure, but I, I would think that he was making it real simple. And then Peter's like, oh yeah, 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 I get it, I get it, and I think I would get it too. And what Jesus is trying to make clear is what he says in verse 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and that's what defiles a man. This was revolutionary. See, the people up until this point, they thought that the way that you made God happy was by doing things like washing your hands or keeping the rules. But God is not after your behavior. He's after your heart. And, and we need to understand what Jesus is saying, that he's not, he's not after you washing your hands, per se. He's after you having a clean heart. God wants to come and, and grab a hold of what's on the inside, so it goes on in verse 19. Jesus says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, these are activities now. You got evil thoughts that come from the heart, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. That what Jesus is making clear is that a dirty heart leads to dark behavior. Like, like the reason why some of you watching this are still looking at porn and pleasing yourself is because you have a dark heart. The reason why some of you watching this are continually lying so that you make yourself look better than those around you is because there's something broken inside of here. The reason why you keep running and having sex with your boyfriend or your girlfriend outside of marriage is because something is broken. The reason why you don't believe God, the reason why you reject his love and his grace and his mercy is because, listen, something is off in here. And there's nothing that you can do on the outside to make what is wrong on the inside right. And so Jesus is teaching us tonight that he loves what's in here and that he's after our heart. He goes on in verse 20. He says, these are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands, that doesn't defile a man. Point number two, if you're taking notes tonight, you could write this down, the wicked heart. The wicked heart. That Jesus is making it abundantly clear that the heart of the problem is that we got a problem with our heart. 
that we were born into this world and something happened that, that broke our heart. Just like my nephew, I was telling you earlier, his name is Levi. When he was diagnosed with his heart problem, there was this sonogram that caught this issue. Jesus is, is doing a spiritual sonogram tonight to reveal that some of you listen to this, that there's something broken inside of here. That, that you call it issues, you call it I'm tripping, you call it loneliness, the Bible calls it sin. And what it says about your heart in Jeremiah 17 is that our heart is desperately wicked, beyond cure, that we have a heart condition that we can't have surgery to fix. That, that, that the scripture says, like, come on, you know this. You, you would agree with this even if I didn't have the Bible open. We all got issues. The, the scripture would say that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's perfect glory. That we have been born with a broken heart and you need to know this, that Jesus has come to give you a new heart. He says this in Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5, it says, but because of his, God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, like he, he's not, he, his love isn't on budget, y'all. He, he's rich. He wants to lavish his grace and his mercy upon you because he is rich in mercy and because he is loving, verse 5, Jesus has made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace that we've been saved. Do you know that? How have you responded to the news that you got issues? Like my nephew, like he had to have his heart fixed, but what the scripture says is that we don't need our heart fixed, we need a new heart altogether. And in Christ, you can have that. That Jesus came to set you free from your wrong motives and from your wicked heart by giving you a new heart. Do you have a new heart? Has there been a time in your life where you realized that there was something broken inside of here and that Jesus was the only solution to give you a new heart? You turned from your, your sin, your issues, your mistakes, whatever you want to call them, you turned from those things and you cried out to God and said, God, I give you my life. Have you done that? Has there been a time not, not when you prayed a prayer, not when you did some sort of spiritual washing of the hands, but when you submitted to the spiritual knife of God and allowed him to do heart surgery on you. A few years ago, I picked up my nephew and we were in his bedroom and, and, and they have one of these photos that I showed you earlier of him hooked up to all the stuff and, you know, big scars on his chest. And, and, and I, I picked him up and I was like, man, do you, do you remember that? And he had no recollection of it. He's like, yeah, it's uh, something that happened, I guess. And I got this scar. And he's kind of, he's outgrowing the scar now, you know. And, and then he's like, you just put me down. Quit being all sentimental, you know, that kind of thing. He's just squirming and that, that sort of thing. And listen, he couldn't explain all the ins and outs of the surgery that took place. But he couldn't deny that he was alive and well. And you may be listening to this and you may not be able to explain every intricacy and theology of the gospel, but you know that Christ has come and made you new. And if you don't know that, why not make that sure tonight? Uh, here's a picture of my nephew right here. And I mean, he's strong, you know, he's, he's five years old and he's just a little boy. You would never know that he ever had any issues. Everything's great. And the reason why we know that his heart is fixed is because he learned how to talk. The reason why we know that his heart is fixed is because he, he's growing. The reason why we know that his heart is fixed is because he's, he's, he's learning things and he has a hunger and an appetite. See, there are evidences that you have a right heart with God 
that your speech begins to change, that, that you're, you begin to grow spiritually. People, they, you get around people like, why are you so calm now? Why, why, you know, what's going on with you? They don't even recognize you because you've been spending time with the Father, that, that you begin to learn some things about God, that you begin to, to have this insatiable, or, or excuse me, you have this hunger. It may not be insatiable all the time, but you, you have this hunger to know God. And there's no denying, listen, if you are unsure that your heart has been made new, it probably hasn't been made new. And Christ has come to give you, don't complicate Christianity. Are you growing in your love for God? And are you growing in your love for people? If not, you may not have a new heart. And so again, do you have a new heart? And if you do have a new heart, How's your heart doing? Point number three, and finally, if you're taking notes, I want to ask you that question. How's your heart? How's your heart? Listen, Jesus came. He came to move in and to take over your life. He came to give you a new heart. And he came to give you a new heart so that you could then begin to honor him with your heart. Like, like we have this, this invented thing where we say, hey, have you invited Jesus into your heart? That's not a thing in the Bible. It's not, do you invite Jesus into your heart? It's, it's, have you given your heart over to Jesus completely? And are you surrendering everything that is surfacing up inside of your heart over to him? Uh, your, your worries, your concerns, your, your angers, your issues that are flowing from this heart, do you continue to give them over to the Lord? Man, there are four basic emotions that when they begin to stir up inside of our heart, they should ping our conscience and we have to continually submit those things over to God. Those four emotions are this, guilt, jealousy, anger, and fear. And over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna unpack those things and get a biblical game plan as to how we respond to those things. But real quickly, guilt is this, that I owe you or I owe God it's something that's inside of our heart that we begin to carry things around. And some of you have been carrying guilt for years. And, and you don't know what to do with that. And I want to give you a game plan over the next few weeks. Or maybe it's jealousy that's in your heart. That, that jealousy, it says, that the, the, it says this, that the world owes me. You know, you, you've been on Instagram or you've been seeing what other people are getting to do. And maybe, maybe it's just us comparing ourselves as a state to other states and they're getting to reopen. Why don't I get to reopen? That kind of thing. And, and jealousy says the world owes me. And some of you, you've been carrying jealousy so much so that you secretly celebrate at the demise of other people that you claim to love. That's a problem. Or what about this one, anger? Anger says this, you owe me. And some of you, are abusing a present relationship because you think somebody from 15 years ago owes you something. And there's this smoldering anger that you've carried with you because of the hurt that you have. And it's influencing and infecting all of your relationships. And maybe you're listening to this, you have anger in your heart. Or maybe it's just fear. And fear says this, that the world is against me that I don't, know, I don't know what's gonna happen, and if this happens, then this is gonna happen. And, and, and a lot of you listening right now, I mean, fear is in the air because of all that's going on. And it surfaced this thing inside of your heart. And again, over the next several weeks, we're gonna talk about the issues of your heart. And we're gonna look at the scripture and develop a plan to respond to these emotions. Because even after you get a new heart, you still have to go in for a few checkups. 
So, so my, my nephew, Levi, he gets this heart surgery done and everything goes well. I mean, he recovers and, you know, he's, he's born in February. He has the heart surgery three days later and, and then he's, he's, he's home by March. I mean, it was, it was a miracle how fast he recouped. But he had to go back to Dallas regularly. And when he would go back to his doctor, they were asking the question, how's your heart? And this is what we're doing, that we're gonna look into the scripture and we're gonna ask these questions because you've lived life long enough to know that your life would be radically different if you knew how to navigate these emotions. That some of you, your childhood would be radically different if your parents knew how to navigate these emotions. And you need to know this, that the people closest to you are experiencing the overflow of what's going on in your heart. How's your heart? Oftentimes when I'm putting my girls down to bed, I, I've learned to ask this question to them. Not how was your day, not how's, how are things going, but I've learned if you, if you hang out with girls, you, you need to learn how to ask these questions, all right? You, you ask a question like this, and, and I, I snuggle up next to them and I say, hey, how's your heart doing? Is there anything in there that you don't know how to deal with? And I just listen. Because if there's something, if, there's in, if they feel embarrassed or they're nervous or they're fearful or they're, they're envious, I want to talk about those things. So let me ask you tonight, is everything okay? Is there something that you're carrying tonight because of something you've done that you're ashamed of? Is there something that that's got you just so on edge in relationships because, because you're so angry about something? Or are you, are you jealous that, that, that somebody else is, is getting married before you are? Somebody else is getting promoted before you are? Or do you feel like you're, you're hiding right now? Don't deny what's wrong because it just might cost you your life. How's your heart? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to open up your word and to have uncomfortable but necessary conversations about what matters most. And that's what's on the inside. That's the immaterial thing about us, our heart. God, we thank you so much that you came to give us a new heart God, forgive us when we do the right things with the wrong heart. And God, help us to do the hard work of running a diagnostic, running a spiritual sonogram, if you will, and exposing those parts of our heart that are displeasing to you. God, help us to get the equipment that we need to be able to navigate this quarter-life crisis that we may find ourselves in, these young adult years so that we can be strong in our relationship with you, so that we can be strong in our relationship with others, and so that we can have a heartland in which you dwell and you give us joy and life. In Christ's name I pray, amen.